you know, people always ask, how did you stick with it? It's like, how did you, you know, it's like, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do you, how do you stay married? You know, it's like, <laughs> hey, friend, it's David Nabinsky here in Brooklyn. Here at the Portfolio Career Podcast, we help you take ownership of your portfolio career and design a life that you want to live. Today's conversation is with Sahil Lavinia. Sahil is the founder of Gumroad, an investor, and the author of The Minimalist Entrepreneur. This episode was recorded in front of a live audience in an apartment in Brooklyn with about 20 people attending, mostly founders. And it's an interactive conversation, and you'll hear people ask questions throughout the episode where I literally hand them a mic to have them ask a question. I call these episodes and these events called Podcast Mixers. As you may recall, Sahil was a prior guest on the podcast with episode 189, where we talked about Sahil's book, The Minimalist Entrepreneur and Portfolio Career Trends. And after you listen to this episode, go ahead and listen to that episode as well. In this episode, you'll learn about the ups and downs of building a company, capturing value versus creating value, what Sahil thinks is essential for business building, and why Sahil is currently optimistic, and so much more. This episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my Substack called Portfolio Career and also sign up for my free podcasting course. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go, Sahil. November 2017. Tell us about an email that you got from Kleiner Perkins. Yeah, I got an email from Kleiner. What did it say? It said something like, we'd like to buy back. We'd like Gumroad to, we'd like to sell the shares we own of Gumroad back to you for $1. So this is an email Kleiner sent basically saying that they're going to, they, they invest in the company. They own about 20% of the company, put it 7 million bucks into the company in 2012. And basically that was the the thing that saved Gumroad because it basically reset the the cap table of the company back to two and a half million. At that point, Gumroad had raised about $8 million, but the last two were at a 4X liquidation preference. If you don't know what that means, you're going to learn in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> Basically means you raised $2 million, but you got to return $8 million before you, uh, you know, return any money to the other investors, including you know, the founders and employees of the company. But you know, when you, they reset that down to two and a half. So from 60 and a half, that, you know, there's, the, the numbers basically went down to two and a half, sort of turned Gummard back into a seed-funded company. Mm. You know, we were doing about one and a half, two million in revenue. And so, yeah, I kind of was like, oh, maybe there's a there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And this is like maybe two two years, two and a half years after I had done the layoffs. So I'd sort of been running Gumroad, kind of on autopilot, skeleton crew. I'd hired one person to do support contract, and I was kind of trying to fix all the bugs, and that was it. So save the company. This one unexpected email, right? Yeah, I'd kind of moved on, you know? Like, I sort of automated everything. June 2016 kind of got to profitable. Gumroad had kind of, was kind of just doing its thing, growing slowly every every month, every year. You know, I think we were growing about like 10, 20%. And so I was like, yeah, at some point this is going to be meaningful, but like it's going to take a long time. And 16 and a half is, million is a lot of, it's a big number, you know, for a 2 million revenue company. And, but I can, I, you know, I can go do other stuff. Right. Uh, so that's what I did. I left San Francisco, moved to Utah. And so I was like, yeah. And I actually like, you know, I pinged the investors like, Hey, you know, would you ever consider, you know, buying back? We, we have some profits, we have some bank balance. And basically it was like, no, you know, like generally it's like, they're not super open to that. Um, but yeah, at some point they changed their mind. I, I assume they got a, a decent tax write-off off of it, and 
yeah, it kind of ended up saving the company. So saving the company. Wow. Um, and so then you mentioned, so then it was all right, kind of like a seed funded company again. Um, you saw the end of, uh, saw a light at the tunnel, meaning that you could start building, um, kind of on your terms a little bit more. Or? Yeah. Basically that there was like, there could be ROI, right? Like that it made sense for me again to sort of start investing in building Gumroad, adding features, hiring folks like invest, you know, that takes a lot of time and effort and energy. Uh, and that there would be kind of like a reason to do that. Right. And then the other nice thing is I sort of wanted to see like how valuable was Gumroad. Like what happens when I stop building stuff? When we, you know, we fix the bugs, we answer the support tickets, right? We, we, we want to do as good of a job as we can. But at the end of the day, we're making like, you know, off the, you know, the GMV or, you know, the revenue and stuff, we're probably making like net very, you know, 40 grand a month or something. Like not a lot to hire a lot of people, right? And so I had sort of data and evidence to say, oh, actually, you know, three years of like kind of this thing on autopilot grew 10%, 25%, 40%. I think it might be worth continuing to work on this thing. And so that's kind of what I did. And I think it sort of a year later, COVID happened. So it was like, I was glad that I worked on it. Yeah. Um, and then and in COVID, you had big, big growth. And we'll, we'll talk about that too. Um, but um, is there anything you want to uh, share about during that period? You, you mentioned the layoffs. And then it seemed like at that point, you really just like slimmed down operations on like only what was like critical to run the company to the like founders and stuff that are here that are thinking about hiring or, you know, raising money and having a certain kind of team structure. Is there anything that you've learned um, from that period where you really kind of slimmed down? There are very few things that matter to a company's success and growth. And, and it's just, it's a very small number of things. And it's basically the product, your ability to sell the product and like that ability for people who use the product, like how good is it? How, how, how often do they tell other people? Nothing else really matters. And this is like, it's sort of just a hard truth because you spent all of this time hiring people and building a team and you don't really, these are these are sort of truths that you don't really want, you know, like the joke in Silicon Valley is that you can sort of fire 90% of the people at Facebook. You just don't know which of the, you know, <laughs> which. <laughs> That's the hard part, right? Um, and so it's, it's, not a, it's not a fun exercise. No one wants to go through this sort of existential thing. Like what if you, you know, it's like doing surgery on your company or something like that. It's, it's it, you know, there, lots of companies die. Most companies that lay off 75% of the employee base die, mm. right? Um, so it wasn't a fun exercise, but looking at the growth, looking at the numbers and realizing like the thing that we built with Gumroad, we built that, you know, that had a lot of the product we had already built, mm -hmm. you know, had been built. And that's just, yeah, it's just tough because you have to kind of look at the value being created by different people and realize, like, maybe none of us are needed. Mm. I'm a CEO of the company, so I'm not firing myself. Yeah. But, you know, that's like a hard truth that I think a lot of people are learning this year, last year, is that, you know, it's really hard. Like, it's a, a small list, but it's very hard to contribute to those things. Mm. It's really hard to contribute to those things, right? And if you're a software engineer, product designer, there's a reason that, you know, those those folks are kind of like the have a lot of leverage, which is like, it's, it's really hard to contribute to those things unless you are able to contribute to the product, um, or sell the product. Yeah. And Gumroad doesn't have a sales function, right? That's one thing we learned is we tried sales, we experimented with that, and we learned it doesn't really matter. Like well, all that matters is that we built the product, people use the product. You can't really not tell people Gumroad exists by using the product, right? <laughs> There's the link. Yeah, it's in the <laughs> URL. Uh, and so yeah, it's basically, you can kind of 
you know, get rid of everybody. We could do, you know, we could do the same thing tomorrow if we wanted to. We're not going to because I want to build stuff. I want to do things. I think it's fun, but it's is it necessary or is it nice? Mm. You can do nice things when there are zero percent interest rates, but you know, sometimes you can only do the necessary things. Yeah. Um. Well, the CEOs in the audience, so they're fine then. <laughs> um, or not, you know. <laughs> Um, you might go down with the ship. <laughs> we'll get into optimism in a little bit, Sahil. Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last night you were talking about optimism, so we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, awesome. But um, okay, so then you 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 moved, you slimmed down, you got this email, you moved to Utah, and then when you're in, in Utah, you were able to kind of keep building the company um, with a small team, and then it also seems like when you moved to Utah you had some other kind of epiphanies or some other kind of reflections and uh, it's kind of meta, but yeah, a big reflection um, that, that turned into a blog post. Um, you want to talk about that post? Which one is this? Reflect- <laughs> All right. Okay. Reflection. Just making sure. Cause I wrote, I wrote two, one about explicitly moving to Utah, which yeah. is just about the sort of cultural learnings yeah. I had from bubble to bubble. Basically I learned that people aren't evil. Shocking. <laughs> At least not the people I met. And uh, I try to find them, but um, the uh, but yeah, reflecting on my fear of ability to build our company, basically I just realized like this is a kind of a weird thing to aim for. Mm-hmm. It's sort of something that I sort of like. I was sort of sort of swimming in the water, and like it's kind of like you 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 show up in Provo, Utah, and you know people are like you know what you know they ask you generally. Oh, you know, I try to build this like billion. Dollar, I failed to build this you know this this billion. And like, what do you mean? Like fail? You failed to do what? Like build a billion dollar, like that's a kind of weird thing to like. What? Like, I, yeah, yeah. This weekend I failed to like win the gold medal in the Olympics. So it's like, that's the kind of, and you kind of just like that kind of like this like, that is weird. Mm. It is weird to that that sort of, and and so the, I sort of just like started to digest. And part of this is it just the distance, right? Like when you are in the in a at a party, and you kind of people ask, "What do you do? You know, what do you do? You know, it's like not for fun." And so just go. <laughs> What do you for work? You know, where do you, what you know, stuff like that. It, you just start to like you can't help but ask yourself those questions and, and prioritize those kind of the, the answers to those questions. I think in your mind, in Provo, the questions are quite different, right? It's like, why are you here? You know, where are you from? Are you married? Which ward are you in? Literally, those are the questions that people ask if you go to a party, right, with a bunch of twenty somethings in Portland or sorry, in Provo. So you just you can kind of like unwind those. You you know you you know you don't you don't wake up with the alarm clock telling you like. What do you do? What do you do? You know, you, you, you sort of start to lose that, uh, that sort of like the manic stuff that, you know, happens when you're in SF. And I just realized, yeah, like building a billion dollar company is, it's binary. You do it or you don't, which is generally not, you know, kind of weird. And, and just, it's like not, it's not, it doesn't really measure impact. It does in some way. You can, you can sort of make some argument, but Bill Gates, I think said it really well. He said, you know, there's like create value creation and value capture. And sort of platform companies like create a lot of value, right? How much value does Apple create? You know, how much do you capture? Very, very different things. And so just you know, trying trying to like sort of psychoanalyze myself and like Gumroad as an investment, Gumroad as a company, Gumroad as a product are all different things to different people. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, that's kind of just what I learned was like Gumroad is like a business. That's okay. And it's like this is like very obvious. <laughs> thing it is like not shocking but i think you know the the i think i told a good story or whatever so and so then you published uh this this essay which then someone read it and reached out to you and said you want to turn this into a book yeah 
Yeah, Mary did. Mary from Penguin. I believe the next day or the next week, she she read this uh, Medium article I posted, and uh, she's like, "Yeah, have you ever you know interesting story? You have a you seem like you can write decently well." In the essay, I kind of hint at that I want to write more because I say I'm taking a science fiction fantasy writing class with Brandon Sanderson, and yeah, would I would I want to write a book on this subject? And I said no, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Should be an essay. <laughs> Uh, but then, yeah, I was just like hanging out with some some friends, and you know, I was like, oh yeah, like penguin, you know, it's kind of st- like the stupid like things. Like, they're like, why don't you know what's like what's the downside? Like, what do you lose? And I'm like, oh, I guess like nothing. And it's like, what's, I'm, I have nothing else to do. Like, what I have the time, whatever, right? So, and it was, it was sort of like 29. It was like mid 2019. I'd published the blog post like February 2019, so I think I ended up signing like the book deal like December 2019. Like literally, I think it was like 31st December 2019. It was like awesome, cool, like 2020, clear year, like really settled down. Like Gummert's kind of doing his thing, kind of just like nicely growing. I just have like a nice good year to just like you know work on my book, and then COVID. So and, there's and a lot. COVID then accelerated Gumroad. Yeah, so basically, almost. I mean, COVID had many accelerants on on I think many people's lives, but like in my life, I didn't like two particularly. One was uh, Gumroad, right? Gumroad started to grow. A lot of people were now like stuck at home, selling online. So the creator economy started like becoming kind of this meme. We started seeing like crazy growth. You know, from from sort of zero to you know January or February of 2020, we had about six thousand kind of daily active you know creators like selling content, right? Mm. And sort of that weekend of March twenty third or whatever that was, when like basically New York and California went into to lockdowns, we gained like twenty five hundred creators. Wow! Which like basically, if you like, if that didn't happen, if you kind of just kept drawing that line, it would have taken like two and a half years, like a, a weekend, you know. And I, I write about this in reflecting on my failure to build a billion dollar company, which is it doesn't matter how awesome your team is or how fast you ship features, the market you're in is going to determine most of your growth hard truth i think another hard truth (laughs) and uh so yeah gumroad started growing i think in 2020 we grew like basically 100 percent year over year uh and then we had a pretty decent 2021 grew about 30 40 percent maybe and then 2022 was about flat like most of the internet frankly was a was a tough year it was basically a recession for the for the internet and uh and then the other thing is i i launched a rolling fund on AngelList. So I started investing in startups and, and, and doing that sort of thing. And so actually like when I signed the book deal with Penguin, you know, it was called Stop Chasing Unicorns. It was sort of this idea of, uh, you know, maybe maybe the billion dollar thing is not the not the goal. Uh, and then I, you know, became a VC. <laughs> <laughs> While still running Gumroad. While still running Gumroad. So I had to come up with a new title because inherently that job is chasing unicorns. <laughs> So that's why I became the minimalist entrepreneur, which I think is still a great title and everything like that. But yeah, kind of, it's interesting to kind of like see the, the evolution of these things as they, you know, they changed quite, quite a lot from, you know, from, from the beginning. And so, um, yeah. How, how do you kind of think about that in terms of minimalist entrepreneur, uh, investing into founders? Yeah. What, like, what advice do you give to founders on kind of fundraising of like, you know, take this kind of X amount of money or build this kind of company? Is there um, anything that you want to share to founders? Yeah, I saw a good tweet about this actually today that basically called like raising VC is like getting an allowance from your parents, which is really what it is. Mm. Like you are not financially independent. And by the way, like you treat every allowance like it's your last, right? And so I just think like 
at the end of the day, I think founders should understand that like basically nobody really cares about them and their business nearly as much as they do. None, none of the people on the cap table, none of the employees, no, nobody really cares except the founder, uh, the founders of the company. And so no matter how much people say otherwise, like just understand that this is your company. If this works, you get filthy rich. You get to dictate the entire terms of your life. When you raise money, you get millions of dollars for a pitch deck. It's insane. Uh, and so I think people should be super grateful for when they get to raise money, but also like not, exp you know, like, like run the business as if you don't need it, mm. right? Like get financially independent as soon as possible. And I think Gumroad, we've always kind of threaded the needle pretty well where we've been able to do crowdfunding or these and that, but I think it's kind of always important to be like, you know, a hop away from profitability, right? Cause you always want leverage. You always want optionality and yeah, when you're, you know, on your parents' allowance, you don't have a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and then now, uh, so the now Gumroad seems like, I think you've called it like a vessel, um, that is allowing you to run a lot of kind of experiments, um, you know, running the fun, uh, last week, I think you launched an app. Um, and yeah, just talk to us a little bit about like how it seems like Gumroad is kind of, a you know, sustainable company that's been around for a while, but also like is allowing you to continue to like seems like really interested in continuing to build new projects and do other things on the side. Yeah. I mean, I think I like making stuff. I like trying new things. And a lot of people ask me like, why don't I just like saw Gumroad and do something else or whatever. But it's like, I like running it. It doesn't take up like a ton of time, by the way, like it took a long time to get here. <laughs> like I don't really want to do like all that stuff again. The failure rate is still quite high for someone who starts a company. You know, it's like, I don't know. Like I like this. And it gives me the space to try these things. Like if Gumroad was a multi-billion dollar company, I would not be doing these things. You know, I would not be having a rolling fund on the side or launching an app or whatever. Like it's kind of nice that it hits this mode, but it's bigger than like the average side project. Mm. So I get to run all these kind of experiments and I don't know how sort of impactful they may be, but I can write about them. And so imagine if someone can learn something and apply it to their massive business. And so I think there's a lot of sort of like this sort of, you know, going back to the sort of value creation value capture thing i think there's a lot of ways to capture value but there's also a lot of ways to create value and i think the cool thing about gumroad and generally i think the cool thing about building a company generally is you can kind of just you can like almost like everything is expensible in the sense that you are 24 7 doing stuff like i'm constantly building the equity value of gumroad just by living my life right i don't have to do much and so like all of these experiments kind of always kind of come back in some way shape or form however most people you know, when I launched the fund, for example, a lot of CEOs were like, hey, this is interesting. Uh, like, what do your employees think? What do they, like, your investors think? Like, you know, it's like so much managing of, of this kind of stuff. And like my answer to them is like, I don't really have any of those, right? Like, uh, <laughs> uh, I've tried to structure my life so that I can do what I want. Uh, and the truth is like, the reason people don't do what they want is because of other people, right? If you're the only person left on earth, you do what the fuck you want, right? But no, it's a socially sort of driven, right? So I think that's pretty important. I think there, you know, just going back to the prior thing, there is some dissonance, right? And like, sort of like, I failed to build a billion dollar company. I kind of learned all these things. And now I'm like, sort of giving people money to try that thing again, right? And I think at the end of the day, it's just important to understand, like, most companies probably don't have sort of a thousand X return potential. Your company probably doesn't have it, just statistically. Uh, if you no raise months, <laughs> if you do, great, right? Awesome. Uh, but at the end of the day, like, you're only like hurting yourself if you kind of like delude yourself into raising a bunch of money and then 
Like, what do you do? You have like $50 million in your bank account. You don't have product market fit. That's a sh- terrible place to be, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's like so bad. Um, where I'm at, it's great. People use the product. They love it. We're growing. We can keep shipping stuff. It's growing 10, 20% a year. I think this can happen. This can go on for a long time, mm-hmm. you know? And it is like sort of a hedonistic treadmill. It's just like, you know, I want to control the pace a little bit. Like, I, I want to go for, a, you know, three, 3.5 for like the next 50 years versus like, you know, 12 for 10 minutes and exit <laughs> i think it's like it's always funny because i one, one thing i have honestly learned recently more recently is how many founders don't want to build don't want to work on their company like they like i really don't want to sell gumroad mm. like there's i don't think about that but the vast majority of founders i talk to are not actually that interested in being a founder if they were offered 100 million bucks they would take it and that's a big thing like one reason i you know people always ask how did you stick with it it's like how did you you know it's like I like it. <laughs> like, how do you, how do you stay married? You know, it's like, like that's on you. You know, so I think that's also kind of a really kind of important piece is that, like, you know, at the end of the day, like, you have to understand someone's motivations and why they do things. And if your motivations are a little bit different, like, when you have three years of working on this thing on autopilot by yourself, and you don't find that fun, it was still fun for me. You know, it's hard, but I was still having fun, still learning a lot, still doing stuff, still building stuff. Uh, that's pretty. Yeah, it's a it's tough. The other thing is, I think you know, um, it allows me to build stuff. I like building stuff, and you know, I like building stuff that people use. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to build stuff that people use. Uh, most things, I you know, it doesn't matter how big your audience is. Like, check your you know DAUs a week later. It's zero most of the time. So, you know, I have this thing. I get to to build it and make it better and hire people to work on it, and it's fun. Yeah. So I think I'll keep doing it. Um, but I also don't plan too far in the future. You know, mm-hmm. like I sort of have we have this like three month roadmap basically it doesn't really make sense to plan like six months in who the hell knows what's going to happen then you know mm-hmm. um so yeah that's also kind of key for sort of my anxiety is that like i don't like the problem is like it's kind of like if you ever make like a list of like 10 places in new york you want to eat yeah. you're like all right nine to go like you're almost thinking about the next meal i don't like that i don't make to-do lists i don't have to do this i don't checklist i don't have place i want to go in the world i don't have any there's only one thing i want which is like kids in two years which will happen everything else i have so I yeah, just try to like live, you know, try to try to like have government kind of represent like similar sort of sort of values. So mm. um, does anybody have any questions at the moment? When did your book come out? It came out October 2021. Love. Sorry. Didn't know that. Um, <laughs> TLDR. What is the minimalist entrepreneur? So just, I guess, we'll yeah, buy the book. But um, hmm. it seems like writing about this you kind of created this new market so do you see vcs investing in that um kind of like what's the tangible difference between the norm which i think is like unicorn ceo versus kind Mm -hmm. of the minimalist entrepreneur that you're saying yeah i mean i think i think this the simplest way to sort of boil it down is that generally vc is about rate of return so it's not about absolute base. It's not about 100x or 1,000x even. It's really about a yearly rate of return because that's what you're competing against is hedge funds. You know, they have a rate of return. Uh, as a founder, like, who cares? <laughs> if you're going to work on this business for 10, 20, 30 years and it becomes worth, like, a, a lot, it's, you know. And so it's, it's, not, it's not even a difference in ambition. I just think it's a difference in framing and timing. And so the minimalist entrepreneur is, like, how do you build a business that you like working on so that, it doesn't matter how long it takes, right? And and also about what do, what do you actually need? Because I think a lot of people are like, oh, I need to raise, like it's so weird to me, like founders are like, hey, I, I have this idea, I'm looking for investors. 
It's like, no, you should be looking for customers. <laughs> investors follow the customers. Customers are way harder than, investors are literally, it is their job to give you money. <laughs> it's a lot harder for a customer to give you money. Way harder. Um, and so, yeah, I just think it's, you know, it's, it's sort of about what really matters, which as I mentioned, is not a long list. It's like, can you, you know, do you have an idea, you know, do you, is there a group of people who have a problem? Can you solve that problem with a product? Can they pay for that product? Can you tell them that product exists, which is called sales? You know, like that's it, it really, you don't even need marketing. You're done, right? I mean, that, that's really all you got to do. I mean, that's all Stripe did. They built the thing and then they just like emailed people. And what else, what else is there? You don't got to tweet. You don't got to do community. You don't, any of these buzzwords, like they're all completely pointless. You don't need HR, legal accounting. You don't need any of that. You just need to build the thing. Need it. You don't need them. You don't need them. Hard truth. You don't need them. Uh, and AI will be able to do it soon too. So yeah, I think it's, uh, the core stuff is like, you know, at the end of the day, why are you starting a company? It's to build something for people to make their lives better. Hopefully they pay, can pay you for it. And so you can keep doing the thing. Mm. That's it. I mean, what else? Like nothing else really matters. If you care about the other stuff, like don't build a company. I think this is a, a follow up to that. I think the motivation thing that you mentioned really resonates. So as a VC, as a founder, you also ran minimalist entrepreneur as a course for a bit, teaching other people how to build that. How do you personally think about, one, helping people better understand why they might be motivated to actually build a business? Because sometimes I think it's lifestyle. It's the idea of what a founder is versus what it actually is. Maybe it's actually building something that matters or if it's an exit. And then two, does that matter to your decision as an investor as to whether or not you're actually going to invest in someone, whether or not their motivations are to really build something useful or to build something grandiose and exit? Yeah. To be honest, I don't think anyone really knows, like what they want and or why they want it. I think I'm still like looking back at decisions I've made like a week ago and been like, oh, I thought I did it for that reason, but actually I did it for this other reason. I think your subconscious is really in charge. I think you're kind of on your deathbed. Maybe you'll figure out why you did all the things that you did, you know? So I don't really sort of like look too much analytically at sort of like sort of missionary versus mercenary or any of those sorts of things. I think plenty of different archetypes of founders have built successful businesses in all those sort of categories probably. But there are two questions I ask. Uh, normally, you know, I don't even get to any of them in a, in a conversation, but there's sort of two just in case. Uh, and one is like, you know, what's your origin story, basically, if I don't already know. Um, and it, that, that it's kind of about the motivation. Um, but really, it's just like, yeah, it's like how, like, are you going to stick with this thing for a long period of time uh, is really, I think, what I'm trying to figure out. And... Because, you know, most of the time you don't have a billion dollar exit. It's not because there wasn't a billion dollar exit to be had. It's because, like, the founder didn't, didn't want it. That's the truth. Most people don't want a billion dollars. You know, um, why do you want a billion dollars? What motivate? you know, so I, I, I think that's that's pretty key. Um, and then what was the other part of your question? I, mean, I think you sort of answered already, so it's too good. Awesome. Sweet. <laughs> uh, I'll try and I'll try, I'm trying to find a good way of asking this question. I think the one of the things you mentioned is getting to profitability, uh, you know, taking the allowance and, and and not assuming that you're going to get more. I think there's often, uh, I think sometimes with like bootstrap founders, you might see it's very difficult for them to get to the venture scale that a lot of VC backed companies are able to get to. And I think there's this kind of balance that I'm curious your thoughts on about how well do you say, well, I have VC money, so I'm going to try and not get to profitability as quickly as possible and sometimes get stuck in the middle where you start selling 
you know, to SMBs or early stage companies who are willing to take a chance on an early stage company um, versus maybe trying to go up market and sell larger contracts to bigger companies and really be able to achieve that higher MRR that you might need as a business to be venture scalable. And I'm curious, like, sometimes I will, for example, see founders sometimes get to profitability too quickly and then they're beholden to their early stage customers and they're unwilling to pivot or unable to pivot because they've kind of like found this niche that's unable to scale because they haven't found that market that scales big enough. And so I'm curious as an investor, as well as a founder, is that your advice as an investor or is that your advice as a founder where my job is to just be successful independently regardless of the the success of the company or regardless of the success of the investor um or is that more advice of the company is to find profitability as quickly as possible which could hinder in some cases your actual ability of finding a much larger market to find product market fit i think the best companies in the biggest markets never compromised on just solving a problem selling the pro- uh, selling the product like they didn't they didn't sort of do this like we're going to do this other thing and kind of get me over here they just did the same thing it just turned out that that market was way massive right like stripe the same thing they approached it like a bootstrap company i don't think you have to approach and maybe this is sort of just a bias i have because i generally have a bias towards investing in companies that don't require any capital expenditure which is a pretty core insight in the minimalist entrepreneur it's like it doesn't cost any money to build anything Building stuff is free. Building software is effectively free. Um, and so, yeah, I think uh, you you shouldn't compromise. You should build what you think you should build. And, you know, like, I, I don't, I, I can't, I, I can't think of like, sort of like this, like, we're going to build this to get to this and then we're going to change to this or we're going to have to do, you know, it's just like, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. It's like starting a fusion restaurant, you know, like no one wants to eat at a fusion <laughs> restaurant. Just like pick a, pick a thing that you're really excited about like have some faith and 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 sacrifice and go all in on one one or, or another, and it it will not work, right? It, you like I'm not like you have to act confident. You have I'm not saying it like I'm not confident. I'm just saying you have to act confident. It's a key difference, right? Like an actor knows they're acting. They shouldn't, you know. You kind of have to like dupe yourself. I think that's really key. You know, you have to burn the boat. Otherwise, you're you're not going to make it. You're just not going to make it. You you like if there's a way out. You're you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna do it. It's really hard. You know, all the things go right, you still fail. So if you're starting to second, you know, it's kind of like it's just it's just you know it's 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 not gonna work. Oh, the other question that I ask in, uh, founders is basically why is this not gonna work? And that's just like basically trying to get at their like sort of like their theory of mind or like how meta, how recursive can they think about themselves? How self-aware are they about the problem, the people? Um, and the best founders basically can love talking about that. They love talking about why this is not going to work, all the things, and this and that. And the worst are the ones who can't. They're like, oh, yeah, oh, I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> it's like most businesses fail. I mean, like, you really, that's, that's really, you know, the only, the, that's really the, like, how do you build a company? Like, how do you build a successful company? It's like you just don't fail. Mm-hmm. Like, you just, like, you make a list of all the things that could go wrong, and then you make sure none of those things go wrong, and you will have a successful business. Right? And this is why it's so hard to know what good businesses are. Is because good businesses are the is it's the absence of bad. Happiness is the absence of bad. It's not there's nothing happy, you know. And so I think that's that's why it's so hard. It's sort of this you can't do it a priori. You can't come up with stripe. You have to get there by eliminating the bad. You build a shitty product and then you make it better, right? Uh, and so that's that's all you can really do. Which I think is also why that that sort of the, you can't change the it has to be kind of the same thing. 
And I think I learned this actually at Pinterest, where I remember talking to Ben one time. I was employee number two at Pinterest, and uh, before I built Gumroad, and uh, we were in some car ride because I didn't know how to drive. He was driving me to a party, and I, I was like, I was like pitching him on some feature. I think it's like private pin boards or something like that. And he's like, we can't build that because like we'd have to tell like how how do you tell every single how do you fit that into like the slogan of Pinterest? Um, I was like, what do you mean? Like it's just a feature, right? It's like whatever. And he's like, no, like every it's like imagine like you're McDonald's. Like you add a new menu item, you got like the int- that's not e- you have to like that has to be core to McDonald's to do because it's a lot of work. Every single person you ever hire forever, all the supply chain, like so much work in introducing a single new thing, and that just really like stuck with me. Of like you can only really do one thing anyway. <laughs> you know, it's so hard. It's kind of the kind of similar similar lesson. Cool. You're one of the more. Um visible founders who have done reg cf visible i mean um equity crowdfunding the first time that you did that like you know what did you learn from it or like what motivated you to start and like um you know there's a lot of opinions around it disrupting the industry and stuff like that from vcs and from other founders what about your experience yeah i mean i wanted to do it because it's it was kind of like the book like i hadn't done it you know, I was going to learn something from doing it, uh, I think. And so that was really like the, I was like, yeah, sure. Uh, and I also just generally, I think Gumroad was sort of in this position where I'm like, yeah, like, you know, COVID, like this thing's going really fast. Like I, you know, again, we're not making that much money at that point. Our business model was kind of broken, to be honest. Right. So we we're kind of still chipping along. And I was like, wait, like we're doubling this year. Like what if we had, you know, an extra 20 people, we could raise 5 million bucks. Uh, and, and actually what happened was on March 15, 2021, they changed the number from 1 million or 1.07, I think was the max you could raise to five. So I was like, oh, this is like a you know, one point. It's like a lot. It's like a hundred grand to raise 1.07 million. It's like not really worth it. You know, good for the government to try it out. Let it pause, you know, get some data and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, five million was kind of a was was meaningful. And so I was like, yeah, this makes sense. We have an audience. People want to do this. Um, and so that's kind of why I did it. I didn't really think too strongly about like what the exit was going to look like. Um, and I was, I think I was pretty clear with my, with my, with the, with the pitch and everything. I was like, look, we built this business. Here's the metrics. Who knows? You know, think about it like, like Kickstarter, except, you know, you got a little bit of equity thing, but like literally I was, I remember talking to uh, Jason Fried about this. Uh, and I was, I was like, yeah, I'm thinking about doing this crowdfunding thing. And I was going through like all the gum road. I'm like, yeah. And we also have like, I was, I wrote this article about Gumroad and all the way that we work and stuff. And he's like, oh, this is interesting. And it's like, yeah, we, we don't have any full-time employees. And he's like, you're raising money for a startup with like no full-time employees. Like that's super weird. But also like interesting. It's like, like you're taking like the remote base camp thing and you're like pushing that even further. Like this is kind of crazy. Um, like you should write about this. And so I wrote that article largely to be like, this is Gumroad. Like this is a weird thing that you're betting on. So like just know what you're kind of getting yourself into. Um, and... And the, yeah, and then I, I also just, I don't know if it's going to r- radicalize the industry. The reason is that like venture capital is not really an industry. It's like a fake industry. There's like no money to really be made in early stage investing. There's a reason it's called angel investing. There's a reason the government gives you $10 million in tax write-offs per investment in a startup. $10 million per investment in tax write-off. Per in, it's crazy. It's the best deal on planet Earth. The reason is they need to do that. Otherwise, not enough people would do it. Like, that's explicitly what tax subsidies are for, is to encourage more of that behavior, right? So angel investing is like, you know, I mean, you can look at the data on VC. It's not hard to find, like, how terrible they perform. Like, people should not be shocked at what's happening, right? Um, so there's nothing to disrupt, you know? It's just creating a new path of ownership for people, you know? 
Um, and I think it'll be great for people who want to invest in businesses. And I think there are, I don't think the sort of current model is the right model, like equity and then uh, a return because most companies are not going to get onto the you know IPO or something like that. But I think maybe something like dividends or some sort of approach to paying back investors is interesting. So trying to figure out how to do that. But yeah, I have no idea really where it goes. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, it's like investing, like VC is like, it's not really a thing to be honest. You know, it's like, so not, not worth disrupting personally. Cool. Um, I do want to ask one other final question. Um, is, uh, an email that you sent out a little bit ago and, and I heard you speak a little bit about it recently was this idea about, uh, or yeah, kind of want to end on a little more, uh, optimistic note. Um, <laughs> which like, we can what, go for a bit more, let's, let's <laughs> add some more, timeless. which, uh, is, um, this idea in this email that you sent, which was called planting seeds in 2023, um, and how you are religiously optimistic about things. Um, where's that coming from and what does that mean? Yeah. I mean, basically I, I'm super optimistic if you can't tell, I just, <laughs> I, I have a very, and optimism basically means I believe that this is like the best world of all possible worlds. There's no way this the reality is sort of a Jenga tower. Like changing things only makes things worse. You just can't imagine like how bad things can get. We're in a, we're in heaven basically. And I just believe that I believe it so strongly that like no evidence will convince me otherwise. So I'm sort of religiously optimistic and I'm going to sort of act like it. I'm going to work like it. I'm going to invest like it. Um, and I do that because I think that sort of optimism is required for my happiness. Like I think my happiness is predicated on this expectation of positive change. What is that? Optimism, right? So I would prefer to be happy. So I'm just going to choose to be happy and I'm going to say I'm religiously optimistic so that people, I can kind of put a stake in the sand and say, you know, I'm not trying like, you're not going to convince me of otherwise, mm. you know, like there's no data or evidence behind this. It's faith based belief. Uh, and I think I do it because I think it, it ends up leading to good outcomes. And I, when I moved to Provo, i I really learned that there's like a lot of value in, in faith and sacrifice. And yeah. I really believe strongly that it's very difficult to sacrifice without a lot of faith. I think you need faith. You also need some sort of, evidence that can come over time so you don't maybe waste all of your you know 10 years working on some stupid thing or something like that um sort of a stop loss function in investing but yeah i think at the end of the day you want to and and so that optimism and the the faith-based optimism is coming to things like this and and meeting up with people and working on the weekends yeah planting seeds right i mean planting seeds is this idea and optimism to me it's it's very long term like, again, I'm working on government for 20, 30 years. Like, these are just little bumps. Like, this is a long way to go. I'm investing in startups for the next 20, 30 years. Like, how long does a tree take to grow? Like, it takes a long freaking time. <laughs> uh, you know, like, VC is, like, people think VC is long-term. No, it's not. Like, a road is long-term. <laughs> like, talk to a, you know, some random city councilor about this, like, project they've been working on for 13 years, and when they put it in, it's going to be around for 120, like, 20, 30 years, and it's like... The scale of infrastructure, these buildings, way more than any VC timeline, any startup timeline. Most software businesses have not been around for that long. Google is still only 25 years old. Like, imagine the compounding of Amazon, Google, Apple, 100 years from now, 200 years from now. We are so early. And so this optimism, it's a very long-term optimism, so there's lots of ups and downs. But the cool thing, I'm not saying there's, like, bad things don't happen. I'm just saying that the bad things are the best. Like, you don't know how bad things could have gotten. Uh, and there's this, like, interesting anecdote that I can't remember the exact sort of, like, 
Chinese proverb or whatever, but there's this sort of idea that there's like no such thing as good news or bad news. There's just news because the, the sort of the bad or the good is something you only learn in hindsight, right? Like for example, let's say you like you get injured. That's like bad news. But like, let's say like the next day someone comes into your town and conscripts all the able-bodied men. All of a sudden that bad news was actually good news, mm. right? So I think optimism is just a way of looking at everything like, holy crap, everything is going my way. Every, like, I'm so glad that I failed to raise venture capital in 2015. I'm so glad that interest rates are 5%. I, like, I, I'm so happy. Honestly, I'm so glad. Um, so I just try to, I, I, th- I think it's an amazing thing that it, what inflation is doing to the world. I really believe that. And if you believe that, then you can go out and like try to find some proof or like work really hard to show people or do whatever. Or it just makes you happy, and that's fine too. Yeah, I, I really believe those things too, though. I think it's really—you can't just say these things. You have to actually believe them. You have to drink your own Kool-Aid, otherwise you're just going to fail. Mm. And by the way, like the, the you know, and and the reason this sort of talks, I think, in the context of of writing and sort of the more practical value, I think, of optimism and, and sort of the religious aspect of of mine, is more just this idea that like the reason people do things and follow other people is they want to see that i think they want to see like what is the hero's journey like they want to see the faith required and the sacrifice and frankly i just don't see it most of the time i see a bunch of founders raise two million dollars and complain they can't raise 10 for doing a fucking nothing right like they don't even know how to code learn to code that's what sacrifice is do i like coding no <laughs> i like what it gets me though it's a sacrifice because I had faith, and that faith ha- seems to have paid off. And, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, this morning, and, and she was like, you know, well, like, it's, it sounds like kind of privileged. Like, you know, you had a certain kind of life and background, and that, like, it worked for you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of why I say it's religious. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when you talk to some person, and they're like, I had a spiritual experience. And you're like, but that's not what I don't, <laughs> that's not helpful to me. And that's kind of my point, is that it's not helpful. It's, I'm, that's my, it's my religion. It's not your religion. You've got to find your own thing to get you excited. Of course it's insane. I was like 18, employee number two at Pinterest. Yeah, like, of course I'm optimistic, right, in some, to some capacity. But at the end of the day, we, our beliefs are, a, are sort of the output of our sort of, our, you know, our background, our past, lived experience, you know, the incentives, et cetera, that exist. And, 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 and that's all our beliefs are. And so... I think it's sort of just trying to admit that, like, you know, I have this irrational belief. I think it comes from this idea. I'm tr- still trying to unpack it. I could be wrong, but I think it comes from this desire to be happy. But it is completely rational, and that's okay. Like, we don't have to rationalize everything. We don't have to sort of, like, turn everything into a math problem that has an answer. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Um, and maybe we can't. <laughs> All right. Um Let's give it up for Sal. So where can uh, people follow up? Where can people stay in touch? Where? Um... Yeah, the best place is Twitter. Uh, so twitter.com forward slash SHL um, is probably the best place to uh, follow me. Cool. Yeah. Let's give it up for Sal. Hello, hey, friend. Thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. Would love to hear what you learned and what you enjoyed. Um, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever is best for you. And as a reminder, I'm just one email away as well. This episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at portfoliocareerpodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away, 
which includes the best insights from the podcast and friend-sourced opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much.